The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I am your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. I'm happy to have you with me. Today, my guest is Anna Elizabeth. Motivated by personal tragedy, the death of her firstborn, and other big and little life grievances, Anna set out to uncover the secrets that allow some people to triumph over tragedy. She spent more than 20 years studying how we recover from mayhem and mishap. She is passionate about the power within each of us to heal our heartaches and to triumph over tragedy. She shares her insights and discoveries through writing and from the stage. Through her explorations of loss, grief, and healing, Anna not only discovered that the answers are as universal as the mystery itself, she unearthed essential grief event recovery tools, which she assembled into the Five Facets Philosophy on Healing, a three-part groundbreaking program that acts as a roadmap to help us make the transition from grief to healing. She presented her talk, The Power of What If, at TEDx Nacogdoches. Her writings have been featured in numerous online magazines. She's been a guest speaker on several Block Talk radio programs and has adapted several of her favorite stories into videos, which can be found on YouTube. Anna Elizabeth is an emerging leader in the realm of healing grief. Her five steps of healing is to recovery what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross' five stages of grief is to bereavement. The strength of Anna's voice lies in a hope that transports all of us into the realm of possibility and peace, to that place where we can live our best personal, professional, and philanthropic lives, even in the face of adversity. She lives in upstate New York with her husband, numerous pets, and is the proud mother of three charming and witty young adult college-aged children in varying states of independence. She loves connecting and invites you to join her at The Five Facets, www.thefivefacets.com, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and Google+. And you can get you can also write her at the five facets at AOL.com. I also want to add that she's uh, the author of a recently released book, Digging for the Light, One Woman's Journey from Heartache to Hope. Welcome, Anna. Hi, thank you for having me, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very happy to have you. And, you know, it just continues to inspire on me that each week I talk with someone who's chosen to put kind of the hardest things in their life at the center of their life work. And of course, that does so apply to you 
for you, for you, I need to say not just a loss at the center of your life work, but many losses at the center of your life work. That is true. <laughs> that, um, that is true. It wasn't until I reached that sort of proverbial bottom that I had to stop and take a look at how I had been sort of denying grief, and in doing so, was denying healing. So, in fact, for you, there's something very pivotal about, uh, you know, just for the for the listeners to to know what we're talking about. You experienced the loss of your son, then you had a few miscarriages, then your husband had an affair. I, I guess I'd say you lost your mental health for a time, yeah. uh, maybe as a result of all of that, um, and in a pretty. Uh, relatively short period of time, all that happened. Yes. Yes. Yep. And uh, and so years. So you're saying that actually it was having uh, it took several losses for you to realize kind of what was missing in your own experience of grief. It did. It did. And I did what so many of us do. We're we're busy. We're working. We have goals. We have dreams. We. We know what we want, we know what we don't want, and we're, we're plugging along day by day. And when my son died, I knew I wanted to be a mom. I, I've always known that I wanted to be a mom, and I had definite plans. I wanted to have my children before I was 30. I was 26 when my husband and I married. So I was a woman on a mission, so to speak, and after my son died, I did grieve him, but I was also, I was determined, okay, I'm not going to let this stand in the way. Hmm. And what I didn't realize until um, the day when I was pregnant with my youngest child, when I realized that my husband and my best friend were having an affair, that was the day when all of the, the denial and the things that I had dismissed and the grief that I hadn't faced, that I thought I had, it was more so the, the unresolved conflict that kind of got buried as life got good, as happy things happened, and I abandoned the pursuit of questioning and finding answers to the conflicts that I had. You know, that makes me think of something I really believe, that, which is that there are no bad qualities, but there is an upside and a downside um, you know, if, if you're talking about a quality you have of tenacity, which is really evident in um, in reading your book and and the other things I've learned about you getting ready for this interview. So that's really good. It it keeps you going towards what you want. It keeps you not being stopped by the the inevitable bumps. But in a way, the downside was kind of moving on without. Uh, fully giving the grief its own chance to speak? Would that be fair to say? Um, absolutely. That and just not stopping to find the answers to the questions that I had. Those things just kind of get swept under the rug. What and, kinds and of I, questions are you thinking of there, Anna? Well, one of my big questions was, how do some people heal when others don't? Um, we have you hear in the news every day about people who succumb to suicide or drugs when they've experienced similar circumstances to mine or yours or 
or our other listeners, and then you hear about other stories of people who who rise above it and go on to live fully whole lives. Mm. Um, that was one of the questions. One of the questions um, was very much of a spiritual nature. I grew up uh, in the church where we're taught that we're sinners, <laughs> and mm. I trying to really sort of understand my place and God's role in the death of my son. And what I came to realize, and this is probably off topic a little bit, but what I came to realize is that there's a there's a very distinct separation between spirituality and organized religion. And I'll just say that I was ultimately able to to answer that question in a way that worked for me uh, in my own spirituality and my beliefs. And so that was another one of the questions that mm-hmm. sort of came and went throughout, throughout all of this. Was I being punished somehow? Had I done something wrong? Was I inherently just a person that, that was destined to, uh, to, suffer. I mean, at one point in time, I joked that I was born with bring it on tattooed onto my forehead. And that was one way for me to to make light of the situation. But in reality, when it came right down to it, I really needed to ask that question, why am I being challenged? And am I being challenged? Or is it just truly a part of life? No, I, th- I don't think this is off topic because I do think that either your your spiritual foundation can deepen and grow and be a great support in grief, uh, or sometimes uh, it does become a detriment if you think this must mean something bad about me. I'm God must be punishing me. That can really get in the way of grief. So I think that's very much on topic in terms of how people approach experiencing a loss and, and accepting their their uh, feelings about it. Correct. Absolutely. And one of the the things that I one of the questions that I had is there are so many different religions with different belief systems and then we also have atheists and agnostics and how does all that fit in in the realm of of spirituality, and that is one of the pieces that I put together in the philosophy is the spiritual facet, because I believe, and it's it's one of our slogans, is that no one is exempt from suffering, but everyone is entitled to healing, and it doesn't matter if you are Catholic or Hindu or atheist or anything in between, you you do have a spiritual essence to you, and you have to reconcile what that means with your situations, whether it's a happy experience or one that's that's not quite so happy. Mm. I, I like the sense in that of um, grief forcing you to find personal answers in a way. Correct. <laughs> you know what fits with your what fits with with your view that also can support you 
um, I think when people have that, regardless of the difference in their views, they they feel uh, accompanied in grief. Correct. Yeah. And what might work for you might not work for me, but it doesn't make it right or wrong. It's it's all individual, and it's about finding our own answers with what we bring to the table of any experience. I um, I want to talk a little more deeply about your the loss of your son. That was sort of the starting point, not the ending point. But um, you know, I've had several guests on the show that have experienced stillbirth, um, and one thing that really stands out to me about it is that, in some way, I feel as if our culture does not look at that as a death. And way before these interviews, that always seemed so terribly wrong to me, especially after I gave birth to a child. And, um, you know, I'd never felt so connected to the livingness of another being <laughs> as being pregnant, you know, right. because it's, um, you're, you're kind of, a life is inhabiting you in that way. And I wondered if that was true for you or if, uh, if people did, in fact, realize, you know, that you'd suffered a loss by death and that it was profound in that sense, you know, or did they try to put it in this sort of, you'll have another child realm? All of the above. Uh-huh. <laughs> all, all depending the above. on the person? Uh, depending on the person. I I had people, including my doctor, say to me, you're young, you're healthy, you're vibrant, you can have other children. And then I went on to have two miscarriages, both in the, the beginning of the second trimester. I had people who assumed that my son was stillborn because I didn't bring him home from the hospital when, indeed, he was born alive. Mm -hmm. Uh, He experienced unexpected complications during delivery. He only lived 26 minutes, and those 26 minutes of his life outside of the uterus were spent in distress. Um, One of the things that I have found and I believe is that when we, we as humans experience something that we can't understand or that we can't comprehend that we that we just cannot fathom such as the loss of a child we we find ways to sort of minimize it so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't affect us so deeply there's sort of this sense that and there's the the expression it's close to home so Uh. we when we're standing in front of somebody who now makes it very personal because we're connecting with them one-on-one and we hear some news that we can't imagine. And it doesn't matter if it's the death of a child or if it's infidelity or if it's the loss of your home and everything that you own to a fire. People will sort of, will, they will say, well, did you lose everything? Did you salvage something? And Br- brush children, it off in some way. Right, and and in child loss, it, it quite often is that. And what people don't realize is that we're not only losing the physical presence of a child, but we're losing the 
we're, we're experiencing the loss of hopes and dreams and mm-hmm. visions. The, one of the things that I recently wrote is my, uh, my visions of first steps and first smiles and graduations and grandbabies morphed into a journey of grief and a grave. I thought you captured that that initial feeling so well in um, in the excerpt about your son's death, and I wonder if you'd share that before the break. Sure, I'll be happy to. Um, this picks up sort of right where, right at the point where I go into emergency surgery when the doctors realize that the baby is in distress. Says my tidy routine delivery with its sunny skies, sandy beaches, and sounds of tranquil waters had vanished in a tidal wave of fear and reality. And then the sense of powerlessness, my body immobilized, the inability to move my legs, my arms, my eyelids so heavy, too heavy to lift, like the soundless screams nightmares are made of. The mind says, speak, cry out. Move, but the response doesn't come. I strain and strain, and finally my voice squeaks, where's my baby? Baby boy, as staff referred to him, was born May 11th, 1990, at 3.54 p.m. He weighed a healthy 6 pounds, 8 ounces, and was 20 inches long. He was pronounced dead 26 minutes later at 4.20 p.m. Someone must have told me the baby didn't survive. I remember screaming for Warren, then darkness. You are not alone. Warren, of course, had been made to wait in the waiting room while the doctors performed the emergency cesarean section. How alone he must have been, his parents out of town for the day, my family living out of the area, and his sister sent on an errand minutes earlier. As Warren talked with his sibling, he actually heard the code blue call when it came over the loudspeakers, the call used to summon my doctor back to my room. Stat. Warren didn't think anything of it. These things happen all the time in a hospital. That last line really um, impacted me in a surprising uh, uh, depth in terms of the fact that, of course, um, these things are happening all the time in a hospital, that there's, there's, uh, there are so many experiences of loss going on, and yet, and yet we kind of uh, go on as if they're not. Right. And, and I'm sure you can relate to that very well with the death of your wife, your spouse, um, that experience of being in a hospital and hearing that, and it's different when you don't think it's going to apply to you until it applies to you. Absolutely. Um, it's it's just about time for a break. When we come back, I, I just want to pick up where we're leaving off. Um, you know, I think, I think it's so important when we're talking about what can come of grief to actually talk deeply about grief as well. So I appreciate how deeply you, you shared your own loss in your book. And uh, we'll get back to that after the break. Listeners, in these few minutes, 
go to my host page, goodgrief at voiceamerica.com, or my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. And there are links to all my social media and email there. You can find Anna Elizabeth at thefivefacets.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Bad things happen. Job loss, breakups, death, disease, disaster. Every day, loss leaves us questioning, how am I going to survive this? Where do you turn when you find your grief is no longer healthy and is actually holding you back from living your best life? Visit Anna Elizabeth at thefivefacets.com. The Five Facets offers grief to healing transition workshops, events, and step-by-step solutions you can implement right now. Got grief? Get healing. Visit thefivefacets.com. Positive change is only a click away. Visit Anna at thefivefacets.com today. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, again. And today I'm talking with Anna Elizabeth, whose book, Digging for the Light, is a deep look at how she came through a time in her life filled with loss, the loss of a baby, two other pregnancies, almost her mental health, and nearly her marriage. One thing I do appreciate so much about your book, you know, I what I, um, what I think does touch people and convince them we can get through these things is what I guess I'd call the been there factor <laughs> you know if if somebody got through it maybe I can too and I appreciated just how deeply you were willing to share what was not the upside what was so so painful and to describe it um, vividly enough that people that it's that it's clear you're just telling your truth. Right. That, that's a difficult 
it's a it's a difficult road to travel because we want to reach out and help other people, but yet doing that means really exposing our vulnerabilities. But I do think that the more we spend so much time when we're depressed or sad or experiencing loss, we feel like we're alone because our experiences are our individual experiences. And for so many generations, those sorts of things were closeted and people, you're not supposed to talk about them for many, many reasons. And what I found in my own experience is when I opened up about Gavin and I opened up about my story, the more people I talked to, the more people shared their own stories. And people would say, I've never talked to anyone about this before. And I don't think that it's anything that I've done that's unique. It's just that I was willing to step out and say, I don't want to deny my child. I don't want to deny this experience. And he's a part of me. And when I was able to do that, I think it empowered other people. And that that's, I think that's the great thing about the, the groups of us, such as yourself and your previous guest, Elaine Mansfield. I'm familiar with her work. And your other guess is that we are stepping out and exposing our vulnerabilities and saying we are, one of my slogans, we are neighbors in grief and allies in healing. Mm-hmm. We truly are global neighbors. And even though someone might not have experienced the exact same thing, we're right next door. And... and- uh what I find for myself is that there's a great liberation in that, which I, which I think is not expected. People may feel uh, somehow it's good to share your story, but to know that it's, it's actually going to be good for you, <laughs> you know, right. that, it, that it is kind of liberating to tell your truth, whatever that may be. And just, um, you know, what... A, one thing I, I uh, one of my metaphors is um, shame is like a mushroom; it only lives well in the dark and the damp. <laughs> you <laughs> know. <is> so, <laughs> so if you tell it, it, if you tell what you're ashamed of, it it kind of loses its punch to it an extent, doesn't it? It, it does, Be- and so often because other people say, "Wow, I kind of experienced that myself." And you realize, oh, okay. And like you say, it's, I love that analogy that shame is like a mushroom. That That's pretty good. I might have to borrow that from you. <laughs> yes. Feel free to borrow that. <laughs> so what, you know, one thing um, that people often have a tremendous amount of shame about is depression. And um, the way you've described it, you know, I think people become depressed for all kinds of different reasons. And certainly one of those is sort of submerged losses, grief that doesn't get its its chance to be heard. Um, that's one possible factor. Um, but like any, I think depression itself is a loss. You, you kind of lose your optimism. You lose your sense of, of life being a good thing. You know, all of, those, all of those things that help us go from day to day. And I wondered if you'd share that section about 
being depressed. I love the way you said um, when you sent this to me, I was simultaneously living to die and dying to live. Uh, that really captured for me um, the way I often feel when I'm talking with people who are deeply depressed. Um, they're so depressed that life doesn't feel good that they want to die, but it's actually life they're wanting. Right. When I, uh, for years, I journaled, and all throughout these losses I was journaling, and during my depression I was journaling. And at the time, one of the things that I believed was that my depression consumed me. My depression was my identity. Mm. And at some point in time, I went back and I read those journals. And when I was preparing for the book, and the one thing that I realized, and I guess I didn't realize it until I looked back at it when I was preparing Digging for the Light, is that there were so many positive experiences that were happening every single day in the midst of all the things that weren't so good and this overwhelming depression that really made me want to die. And that's kind of when I, that's where that that line came from is because also in there was hope. There was a great sense of hope that every day when I wrote something was going to get better and something was going to give. And at that point I realized that at a time when I thought that all I wanted to do was die, I actually was wanting desperately to be able to live and find healing. I I just wasn't able to articulate it. So I used, in Digging for the Light, I used some of those quotes from the journals, and that's how this excerpt starts out. The forthcoming summaries and excerpts from my journals are indicative of my life during that time, a period in which I was simultaneously living to die and dying to live. I entered the black hole of depression. At times, I succumbed to the darkness. As I stood at the sink, washing dishes, I prayed, God, please end my life for me. Day in and day out, I truly felt I wanted to die. Sometimes, when I thought about the fact that I was still alive, despite my pleas, I felt that much more like a failure, and I considered it pathetic. I couldn't even get dying right. As I lay in bed one night, I prayed, God, please take me tonight. I can't endure the pain. Everyone says you aren't a cruel God. They say you don't give us more than we can handle. You must know my agony. I can't bear any more. You know I can't bring myself to end my own life. Please, God, have mercy. End my suffering. My journals reflect something else during this painful time of my life. Mixed in with all the negative emotions were signs of courage and hope with dashes of humor. At times, I clawed, digging for the light. What, what touches me about that, besides just how open you are with expressing that state of mind, is that it's, we're, we're uh, even at our worst times, there's an awareness of what else is there. Uh, you wrote about it. 
but it wasn't your point of focus. Right. Uh, and and yet, it was present. It was ever it was ever present, and the the depression is crushing, and for anybody who has experienced severe depression or even mild depression, you know how it just crushes that day-to-day, as you say, optimism, joy, reflection. It, it's like walking through quicksand. I think that's what you used in, in your uh, lead-up on your site. It really is like walking through quicksand. And the one thing I can say to any of your listeners our listeners, is don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, reach out, get help, talk to somebody, talk to your doctor, talk to your friends, talk to your minister, talk to Cheryl Jones, (laughs) reach out to somebody, find somebody, and don't be afraid to let them know, because once you can get a handle on that depression, it really does open up a whole new world. And when I started therapy, one of the things that my therapist realized is that I had probably been suffering from depression for much longer than before my son died. Mm -hmm. I had had a, a form of depression probably since my teenage years. So it had manifested itself and I had managed to cope and deal with it and live with it and move on. But it eventually did catch up to me. And I treated it. I, I went through um, therapy with a, a great guy who helped me in immeasurable ways and, and sort of undid that thinking that had become sort of natural to me because I had lived with it for so long in, in avoiding it and thinking that, you know, it just can't talk about it, can't, this isn't the kind of stuff, the shame, that mushroom, it just, it was huge. <laughs> that mushroom was huge in my house. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, or but also, I'm not sure which, I, I see little threads of ways that you um, did uh, continue to talk Uh you know, you're a person who had friendships. You eventually found a therapist. You um, was that also always a part of you to kind of share, or did that come out of desperation? Um, what you were know, you? I'm not sure. I, I've, um, I guess, in some ways, I was always someone who was on the edge. I was always involved, but I I considered myself to be somewhat shy. But tenacity has been, I think, a part of me. It could be my middle name. Uh Um, I think that that has always been with me. So when when my reserve sort of was limiting me, and I it was holding me back from living my best life, when it was holding me back from getting the answers and. I'm a questioner. I need to understand why, how, what, when, where. Mm-hmm. I, I just need to understand things. And so when that sort of natural reserve was holding me back, that tenacity said, okay, what you're doing 
does Dr. Phil love him or leave him? <laughs> he provokes a, a different reaction for different people, but he has a saying, if what you're doing ain't working... What is it he said? Do something else, I think. Do something else, yeah. Um, and <laughs> that it, so that sort of has been my, I guess, that's, that's been the tenacity that drives me. Okay, this isn't working. I'm not, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting the answers that I need. So move forward. It really has been, I think, since the death of, since Gavin's death, when I... I sort of took the plunge and really jumped out and said, "I'm not going to, I'm not going to deny him." And it's, I'm sure, as you've experienced when you've talked about the death of your spouse at such a young age, people, you, they're like deer in the headlights. And when you tell someone that your child died. They don't know what to do, and quite often there's a pot boiling that they have to go take care of or a meeting <laughs> they forgot about. Um, but I've learned to, I've, I've learned not to let my anxiety of making them anxious be there. It, for me, it's a fact of life. It, it is what it is. He's real. My experiences with him, he's still very much a part of my life. It's just that I live with him on a daily basis in a different form than I had ever imagined or envisioned. You're bringing up something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is the ongoing impact of a loss over a lifetime. Um, You know, my wife died in 1995, pretty long time ago. And when I tell people about it, unless even if I tell them the year, they respond as if she died yesterday. (laughs) oh I'm so sorry you know and in fact I have to say that my primary uh, experience of her these days in my life uh, I would describe as gratitude and I don't think we talk about that much that you know it's not just a hole I can't fill in my life right it uh, that hole is filled with her in a different form. Correct. Uh, at least for me, that's the truth. So I think this uh, this idea of continue to, continuing to talk about our losses over our lifetime really is very important because it changes. Right. Well, and quite often, in order to lose something, we have we have to have gained something. Mm-hmm. And in my in in my case and in many of our readers' cases, I gained a child, and that child will always be a part of me. You gained a wife, a spouse, a partner. Mm-hmm. That will always be a part of you, and that is a positive that... At least we hope. <laughs> so, In my but, case, that's true. <laughs> but so it... It was a very positive experience for me. And one of the things that I talk about is in the very early days after he died, after Gavin died, while I was still in the hospital, I remember thinking, I don't want to spend a lifetime mourning him. Mm-hmm. And I, what I say is I didn't know what that meant, what it looked like on the other side, or how I was ever going to get there, but I knew what I didn't want. 
And for me, that was the jumping off point. And ultimately, when I came around to resolving the final piece of the conflict that was holding me back and causing me grief and suffering surrounding his death, I realized that what I did want, and that was to one day be able to celebrate his life. Mm -hmm. And I do that now. Mm -hmm. I celebrate him and his existence in as a part of our family. And for a long time when people said, how many children do you have? I would say three. <laughs> but I've started saying four because I do have four children. I have yes. one in heaven and I have three here on earth. That's and, a great place to, to break for our, our second <clears throat> break. But let's pick pick up right there when we come back. And and listeners, please look for me on my host page at, at Voice America and Anna Elizabeth at thefivefacets.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Bad things happen. Job loss, breakups, death, disease, disaster. Every day, loss leaves us questioning, how am I going to survive this? Where do you turn when you find your grief is no longer healthy and is actually holding you back from living your best life? Visit Anna Elizabeth at thefivefacets.com. The Five Facets offers grief to healing transition workshops, events, and step-by-step solutions you can implement right now. Got grief? Get healing. Visit thefivefacets.com. Positive change is only a click away. Visit Anna at thefivefacets.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Jones, and today I welcome Anna Elizabeth, whose book, Digging for the Light, tells the story of how she came to terms with a string of crushing losses. And before the break, I was starting to think in my head about 
just how much it impacts those around you when you tell your story. Um, obviously, you've you've impacted a lot of people by sharing, and they respond to that. How do you think that it is for the people, uh, you know, in your family, the the people close to you, to have you um, speaking so deeply about your experiences? I think for all of us, I can only speak for myself, but other people who I've talked to who have opened up in being vulnerable, I have family members who are are very supportive, and I have family members who it's difficult to understand how I could do that. Um, But I don't have anyone who, who resists. Um, my doing this. But I, I do have some family members who the um, speaking and talking about Gavin is difficult for them. It, it's not something that they're able to do. And I have other family members who have celebrated his life by making donations my mother made donations for 18 years to Children's Miracle Network in his memory. Mm. Um, she celebrated his birthday and Christmas every year with a contribution to them. Uh, so it's, and it runs the gamut. My immediate family, my husband and I, and our three children, our three living children, we have um, rituals that we do. He's very much a part of our life. When he turned 16, um, we went to the cemetery. We kind of believe that he's always with us, but the cemetery is a place to go and gather. Um, And I said, you know, he'd be 16. What do you think he'd be driving? And (laughs) (laughs) and say one of my, uh, I'm not sure if it was my daughter or my youngest son, said he'd be driving a cloud. And I'm like, well, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and the next year, I said, so last year he was driving a cloud. What's he driving now? And one of them piped up and said, he's driving a shooting star. Aww. And so that actually is one of my favorite uh, posts that I've ever written is at the helm of a shooting star. Um, you know, it's it, it just, he's he's a part of of what we, of what we do. So... Uh, that you know the the impact of that in terms of the way obviously as an as a counselor and and somebody who's known to work with grief a lot i have lots of people come to me who've experienced early losses and um never really dealt with it because nobody wanted to talk about it right um i don't know that i've ever actually worked with someone where that was an open subject in the family so I'm coming to think it's not the loss it's not being able to to work it out it's not having it's feeling somehow it, you're not allowed to experience it so then I was thinking about your children just seeing seeing talking about loss as a natural part of living correct and and what a difference that must must make I I believe it does Unfortunately or fortunately, there's a a natural order to life, and that's not just true with humans. It's true with plants and 
animals, everything lives and everything dies. And that has sort of been my mantra from from the beginning. Mm. Um, even though I I resisted and, and went through the normal stages of grief, I, I did recognize that early on. And I I've encountered so many people who for whatever reason, for whichever one of the five facets that sort of is holding them back, that they have conflict that they're not able to resolve, uh, they have a gaping wound. And you talk to them and they just, they can't move forward. I know a woman whose son, uh, the two boys that were very, very close, they found their father's pistol, and unfortunately, it was loaded. And the, they pulled it out of the closet, and it went off and killed one of the boys. And to this day, the mother refuses to celebrate or acknowledge Mother's Day. Mm. And she has two other children. He was the youngest that died, and she has two other children. Um, and I think sometimes how difficult that must be for them to not be able to recognize and honor their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there's, there's something there that, that she just, and it's usually and often some form of guilt or sure. shame or a, uh, the, the spiritual sense, which is, again, guilt, shame, those sort of those sort of ties. Uh, someone had sent me after Gavin died a, a packet of flyer that said my son had been sacrificed for my sins. I have a very mm. hard time accepting that. It doesn't fit into what I believe and what I want to believe. But what I have come to realize since doing this work is for others, it may be a peace that creates reconciliation for them. Do you know what I mean? Um, we all have to walk our own road, don't we? Right, we do. We do. And so, but I, that's, I think that's the goal of my work and the goal of your work is to, to help people tap into their resources and to help sort of unravel, I, I call grief a grief puzzle. And there's all these different components, all these different pieces. And the five facets philosophy is designed to help people tap into those pieces that are either A, bringing them joy and relief, or B, holding them back from living their best life and to kind of understand there's so many myths and misnomers in grief. And we say the expression that we use is loss and healing. But what that does when we use loss as a noun and a verb, then we either A, eliminate grief or we eliminate the event. And so I say there's three parts and they're all autonomous. There's loss, there's grief, and there's healing. And they all have their own autonomy. And that's one of the things that, that I strive to do with the five facets is help people to 
actually break down those three things and sort of start in their their barest sense and then build up from that. There's a few things that I resonate there with there. One, the the puzzle idea in the sense that uh, I've I've never been able to recognize any form of of linear process with grief. It, it's not linear. It's nope. all over the map. <laughs> so is. the idea that we're just kind of trying to put all the pieces together, we're not, we're not, uh, it's not going to be, you know, now take this step, now take this step. It doesn't operate that way. So I, I r- resonate with that. And, and the sense that, um, there, there is a way through, but it doesn't involve getting rid of anything. Right, exactly. Uh, for instance, if I see someone on the street that looks by, like, looks like my wife, I might have a moment of, of sadness. Right. That's okay with me, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I think too often people are trying to, aren't they trying to get rid of the hard feelings? Exactly. And uh, in my case, my son will be 25 in May. Last year, his birthday fell on Mother's Day. Uh, people that I was pregnant with around that same time. Um, one was a close friend of mine. Our children were born two weeks apart, and her son got married two years ago and just announced Christmas Day that he and his wife are expecting their first child. Mm. So I'm joyous for them, but there was also there was a, a fleeting sense of, and it's it's mixed. It's a it's a little bit of sadness that, gosh, I wonder what Gavin would be doing now. Sure. Would would he be married? Would he have a family? What job would he be doing? But at the same time, there's there's just sort of this sense of wonder for me because it's his life still exists just in a different form. And and his his life in you has been just a very different experience than that mother's son in her, right? Um, very very different experiences, but both pretty constant. Mm-hmm. The way the, the way I the way I hear you. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. We're not going to have. A ton of time to talk about, uh, I had planned to ask you about betrayal and grief, uh, because I think betrayal is a big complication for grief. Obviously, there's not really a betrayal when something is entirely physical. You may make it up, but it isn't there. But of course, uh, you know, your husband having an affair also was a loss involving betrayal. Um I want to end, though, with um, what I think sort of, to me, brings you through that in the book and have you read um, the excerpts about your rock-bottom moment, which I like that expression, uh, a little bit different from, you know, hitting bottom, but a rock-bottom almost has a bedrock feeling to it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so would you uh would you read that part? I I will. Um the one thing that I'd just like to mention is 
it really doesn't matter what the loss is. The our our grief, the level of our grief, is directly associated to our attachment to what we've lost, mm. and that's one of the things. I classify in the five facets philosophy, I have the five D's, and it's death, despair, disaster, disease, and dysfunction. And any type of loss can fall into those categories, and sometimes they overlap. And when you talk about betrayal, um, the, you have the death of trust. I had the death of a friendship. I, the, the depression, despair, um, all of those things, dysfunction is a piece of that. So there were multiple layers. And for you and the readers, I would just encourage you maybe to look at that, at the five Ds, and think about how those different layers in a situation like that um, are classified for you because it may be different. You have, may have different overlap than I do. Um, I hear you. Betrayal. And but, that seems so important that I, uh, we're not going to have time for the reading, but I wanted to let it finish. I, I do want to share the last two lines, though, that you're, um, you felt like you were tossed out, you were, going, you were a heap tossed out with the garbage. It never made it to the garbage you recycled it instead. I love that line. Right. Thank so, you. Anna, thanks so much for being here today. Thank and you I for hope having me, Cheryl. You're welcome. I hope that people will find you at the five facets at, AOL, at AOL.com or at your website. And next week I'll be talking with to Katrina Kavanaugh, author of Wisdom for Your Life, a book about her experiences as a medical social worker, worker and as someone who talks with the dead. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.